Welcome to episode two of the In the Name of Service podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. Here we broadcast stories of men and women who've answered the call to serve in hopes of inspiring and catalyzing the rest of us to follow suit in our own way. Today's interview is with Victoria Weiss. She is an expert in military to civilian transition, a graduate student at Duke University, the spouse of an Army Special Forces officer, and an ultra marathoner. I had the opportunity to meet Victoria a few years ago when she assessed for the organization I was working for. And thankfully, that organization really valued attributes and characteristics above experience. And we were able to hire Victoria for a position that had been vacant for about a year. If you are a military spouse or you know one, this episode is for you. And if you are a military member on the cusp of transition, I also encourage you to listen. And after the podcast, you may want to go over to LinkedIn and check out Victoria's page. That's Weese, W-E-E-C-E. She has a lot of fantastic resources and relationships for that military to civilian transition. I hope this episode encourages you to attack the work before you today. All right, Victoria, thank you so much for uh, being with us today. We really appreciate your time. If you would start us off just by telling us a little bit about yourself. Of course. So my name is Victoria Weiss. Um, I am a born and bred Georgia girl. Um, and I always knew I wanted to go to UGA and run cross country and track there. Um, and honestly, I never thought I would leave Georgia, but obviously that changed when I met my husband. Um, and so I, I do, I appreciate how much that UGA instilled in me the passion to serve the community that I'm in at that time. Um, I got the opportunity to volunteer and tutor for a lower socioeconomic um, area in Athens, Georgia, and I fell in love with the families there. Um, and that's where I started um, a clothing drive for the kids and the families. Um, and I still think that like that initial Implement, like implementing that is like what really drove me into wanting to continue to serve people yeah. throughout my career. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like I said, I met my husband when I was in college um, and he's currently an active duty Green Beret. Um, so we have lived in four states in the last five years. Um, and actually Barb and I met when I was working at a military unit in North Carolina. Um, and that is where I really fell in love with my my passion to serve and my career really like align with each other mm -hmm. um so at that position i was a program director and i helped stand up and develop a transition program for active duty service members who were going to be leaving service and going into the next chapter of their lives um, and so i was really lucky to get to be a part of that and work alongside some of the most driven and intelligent people that our military has. Um, and it, it really, truly was the, the pinnacle of, of my career so far. Um, so I feel like my, what I was given while I was there is something that I can need to continue to do. Yeah. Um, and the opportunities I had there, which includes um, really 
going to um, Duke University to get my master's in national security policy. Uh, and that only happened because of the people that I was working with while at that unit. Yeah, such an important role. How did you know you wanted to run so early? So I started running pretty competitively when I was about 12. My parents are both runners. And so I think that I, I will be honest, I'm very genetically lucky. <laughs> that was something that was probably very clear pretty early on. And I always knew that I wanted to run in college, and that was something that I was very passionate about. I wanted to push myself as hard as possible. And I've been going to UGA games with my parents since probably I was, I mean, probably in my mom's stomach. So I've always been a huge UGA fan. You know, I went on all my visits. Um, so I visited like all five colleges that I could to be recruited, but I knew that UGA was going to be it for me. Wow. That's incredible. And just so, I mean, people get an idea of the beast of a woman that Victoria is. We have a really long event um, that we hold annually at the unit that she and I both worked for previously, and she crushed everyone, all <laughs> all the guys and everyone. So really um, just amazing drive. So um, I want to get back to a few things that you mentioned, but next I'll just ask you about... Um, in your support of your husband, you said like, oh, you, you just adapted and that's what you do. And you were kind of on board from the beginning. That's not necessarily the experience that a lot of military spouses have. Can you just kind of walk us through how you came to that realization and acceptance of that life of support and service? I would say very early on, I realized, well, I, I was very lucky because I had a spouse the first day that we got to our first duty station in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is very remote and not a lot. Uh, and I was terrified. I remember the first day we got there, it was like five degrees and we had just come from Georgia and I knew nothing. And she reached out to me and she very quickly became a mentor for me. And I got to see how she was a physical therapist, but mm -hmm. she was also very supportive of all the spouses that were in her husband's command. And I got to see like what that looked like and what the drive she had did for her and her family and not just becoming kind of bitter and putting myself into a position where, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. There's it's hard. I'm just going to sit back and let things happen to me. Right. She was very go-getting and made the decisions that she wanted to be successful and she made those things happen. It might not have been easy at the time and it definitely caused her to sacrifice for herself to, you know, time, energy, um, especially even in Alaska, that time difference, like she'd be getting up earlier to get on calls and it was, it was difficult, but I saw what that did for her and it gave her a lot of sense of purpose and it gave her something outside of her husband's career. Yeah. I mean, she was so supportive, and I'm very supportive of my husband. That will always come first. But it also meant that she, that when he was gone, she still had more, and she it wasn't he wasn't her only focus. Right. And I saw how successful she was, and just the meaning it gave her. Um, and it also mean that she could fill other women's cups, and she could support them. And I knew I wanted to do that as well. Yeah. What has sacrifice? looked like in your own life um you mentioned it with her you know what what have you given up in order to either support your husband or serve in the roles that you've had so far <laughs> well 
I would say even now, uh, I like you mentioned a unit that we were at, um, we both worked for. I loved my job there. And I mean, I still think about it every day. It was one of the best experiences I could have had. Mm. And I had to give that up. It wasn't right. an option to take it with me. Um, and it wasn't an option to work that remotely. And even if it was, it, I wouldn't have been doing a service to the people that I was serving mm-hmm. by trying to do that remotely. Right. So obviously giving up those positions and then giving up these friendships that I had built and the network I had in the community I had when we were at Fort Bragg, it's difficult every time. And I look back on when we first got to Fort Bragg and I was sad that we had left Fort Wainwright because I had my community there. Right. And so it's those initial sacrifices that feel so acute and painful. And the first few months at every new duty station, I think it's always difficult to look back with road colored glasses and say, things were so much better there and things will never be as good here. But mm. it very quickly, you very quickly find your, find your group of people and you find what you know, brings you joy in that area. So paddle boarding and going to the beach really wasn't an option every day when we were in North Carolina but that is an option here. So it's kind of how can you find those small things that make a difference where you're at. Wow. That's so good. So you kind of look to the experiences you had in your past to kind of make yourself remember, Hey, I've been here before. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's tough. Not knowing what the future holds. Like, will this be a repeated situation where I'm, you know, happy that I'm in this new (laughs) place or not. So, um, What's been the most meaningful experience you've had in any role um, that you've served in so far? What what do you think made it stand out? So I thought about this question a lot because I do think there's been so many instances of just moments where I was, I would sit back and think, wow, this, this was a really, I feel really blessed that I got to be a part of this experience for somebody. But one was very clear to me, and if she listens to this, I know she'll know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but I I got to assist. Um, she wasn't actually in the unit. Her husband was, but she was also transitioning out of her unit. Mm-hmm. And I got to be a part of her transition process. And there was one conversation that she and I had, and we were at a coffee shop in downtown Southern Pines, and she was just overwhelmed. She had about eight different really great op- options on her plate. And everything seemed like it it would be a really great experience for her. Any of these options would work out and they would she would be happy in them and she didn't know what to do because it was she was overwhelmed and I just remember sitting down with her and being able to be that support and talk with her through each of them and help her remove certain things off her plate. Even though they were good, they weren't the best yes. They weren't the best option. And being able to be that process with her and she went from being basically paralyzed and not being able to make decisions because there was too much to right. within two weeks, she was in a skill bridge or an, an internship program for those who are separating out of active duty service mm-hmm. to then working for that skill bridge. And it was also, I only, I think I helped, I introduced her to two or three people and just that very simple amount of listening to her and talking with her and making two or three introductions put her into a job that she adores now. Oh, and awesome. I I think it's kind of shows that this doesn't have to be complicated. Helping people, especially even with transition specifically, but in any any space, it doesn't have to be complicated. It, it really is just listening to people 
and maybe doing like one or two things extra that might make, you know, might take 10 minutes of your time. Um, so I think that was like one of the you know, most meaningful experiences just to see very quickly what can happen when you just, when you do care about the people you're working with. Yeah. And you have helped a lot of people transition <laughs> a lot from, you know, full careers of active duty service where not, not just um, your run of the mill uh, type of individuals, but individuals that have gone through multiple um, assessment and selection processes, you know, have jumped through a lot of hoops uh, here at home, but also deployed many, many times and uh, faced uh, unknown dangers to where, um, you know, their behaviors were really a matter of life and death. And so you know what you're talking about, right? When Whenever you're talking about this. So um, it's not just the average person that gets confused about what the right next step is, but it's also these really, really high performing people. If you could um, tell us with this specific example, how did you help clear the plate a little bit for her and, and just get her focused on that right next step? So like I said, it really is about what is the best the best option for you and your family. So it was, I, I have a, I had a relationship with her. So I knew what their plans were there, where they wanted to live, what they wanted their family life to look like, what her husband was going to be doing. So because I knew all those things about her, I was able to talk with her through those options and say, okay, you're telling me this, but maybe this type of you know, role or this opportunity that might not give you that, that flexibility or, you know, maybe you need to talk to the individual who is in charge of this position and say, this is what I'm expecting from it. And if they come back and they say, this is not what we're going to be able to do, you know, we won't be able to give you a hybrid model of work or anything like that. It, it gives you that opportunity to say, thank you for your time, but I, I won't be moving forward with this. So just those very simple questions that sometimes people get, it'll, like you said, these people are very highly motivated, adaptable, but they've always been told what they're going to be doing in their mm. positions. Mm -hmm. So they just, they don't know what they don't know. So being able to talk with them through it and make sure that they really understand what is going to be best for them in their next, their next chapter of life. They have, they have choices. It, it, this is, this should be fun. It should be exciting for them. Yeah. So making sure they understand that. Was there ever a point in time and Victoria, I've seen you at work. So, um, you work around the clock when you need to. <laughs> you laugh because it's true. And I, I'm just wondering, was there any or has there been any point in time thus far when you thought, you know, maybe this lifestyle of not only supporting service, you know, in your own you know, marriage relationship, but also in your work. Was there ever a point in time when you thought maybe it was a poor investment or a mistake? I would say the first few months in my job, and actually it's funny that you asked this part because it's, I tell people this story all the time, um, <laughs> but I'll get to that in a second. But the first few months, I, I definitely had a lot of questions and just fear about what I was doing because like you said, these are such high performing individuals and transition into their next career is, it's important. It's not just important for them, it's important for their families. And there were times where I felt like I I wasn't doing it correctly and I didn't have the buy-in I needed. And mm -hmm. it took me a little time to realize that I had to build the trust with these people. Right. They 
they have, and this is a very tight knit community. And I came in and I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a known person. So I, I, the first few, probably even weeks and months, I didn't, also I came in during COVID. So I do have to say that. Yeah. It was a weird time, (laughs) (laughs) but I needed to build that trust and I needed to show the value of the program that we were building. And I didn't really know how to do that at first. And then I slowly realized it's just spending time with people. That's all it is. It's just sitting down with them and talking with them. Um, But I will never forget in our offsite that we did, um, I think it was a a few months into me being there. I remember you told me, you said, no one needs to hold your hand. You're capable of doing this. And I... That sounds like some tough love. I'm sorry, Victoria. (laughs) No, but I needed it. And I kid you not, within... Within a couple of weeks, I was like a new person. I was like, she's right. I don't need anybody to hold my hand. I, they hired me to build this. I'm going to do this correctly. And it was it was exactly what I needed to hear. And I promise you, I'll never forget that. That was, I say that to myself still. <laughs> we all need a cheerleader, you know. We do. Um, and sorry, I was a harsh one, but. Nope, that's exactly what I needed. And it was perfect. Like I said, it was exactly what I needed to hear. We had, thankfully, we were working for an organization that that hired for character and characteristics. And, uh, you know, we really did. We we chose you after we had already interviewed so many people with a lot of experience. And um, that's an aside. So, <laughs> Victoria, how do you maintain the motivation to serve? Are there things or are there people, certain practices that, that help you? So I'm lucky because in the way I serve, I do get to see the success of those people I'm assisting. So I, I genuinely, I check LinkedIn sometimes just to see where the guys and gals are and to see how like they're succeeding. I mean, I can think of names right now that just whenever I see them posting or I see, you know, that they've gotten a new role or something, it just makes me so excited. Yeah. And so I really, that is like what motivates me to continue to do this because I know it's not just benefiting them, but it's benefiting their families and it's benefiting the organizations that they're going to. And it's making the, uh, it's making the people who are coming behind them. It's giving them even more of an opportunity because these organizations that are seeing how great the people that are coming in are, why wouldn't they want to hire somebody from the same organization or the same community later on? Um, So it really does motivate me to to continue to serve. And how do you see your role transitioning in the future? You've got this other thing going on we haven't talked about yet. Well, I, I still am really lucky that a lot of the nonprofits and the sorts of things that I was working with when I was with the unit still mm-hmm. reach out to me and I still do volunteer work with them. So I've been, I've, I mean, I'm working with uh, two of the gentlemen who are from the SF group or special forces group my husband's in right now. So I still am assisting these people and that are in the community and I still, I make connections and introduce people at least two or three times a week still. Wow. So being able to do that and while it's not my full-time job right now, I do believe that with Special Operations Command making transition one of their priorities and Mm -hmm. seeing how important it is, especially just since even I came into my role about two and a half years ago, um, it is becoming one of their priorities. And I think that this space is only going to grow and it's only going to give more people the opportunity to serve, whether that's volunteer or a full-time job there, it's only going to become more important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. It's been, uh, we kind of 
thought these people, okay, you had a great career, congratulations. <laughs> and their whole life has been built on really significant purpose. And then we're just like, see you later. And that purpose is missing. And when you miss that purpose, you know, usually it, it just heads you kind of in a, into a spiral of anxiety and, and depressive feelings. So um, just having that handoff is really adding immeasurable value to the force that we already knew could be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, tell us about your current path that you're on. We know about, you know, you're still working in the transition space and volunteering and consulting. There are very few experts in that field and you're one of them now. Um, tell us a little bit about your degree and how you see that kind of shaping the, the future of your work and the way that you serve. Oh, yes. Uh, so I probably didn't do the best job introducing myself because I completely did not mention my last job or that I'm currently getting my master's in national security policy at Duke University. Um, so that has been a unbelievable experience for me. And it wouldn't have happened without my last job at the unit working in transition and working in professional development. So I, I know that where I am currently, and I've mentioned this, we are adaptable spouses, so I am able to work still in the defense space and still be a part of making change within organizations. Mm. And I, I love that. I don't know what that's going to look like for me in the next few years because we never really know where we're going to be. We could be at a different duty station two years from now, or we could be staying here. Um, so I know what it's going to look like is I will continue to volunteer and to serve and if there is opportunity for me to be, you know, working in that space full time again, I would love to take that, and I would love to, you know, even continue to build and be a part of those volunteer opportunities and of those nonprofits and whatever I can do to serve, especially the special operations community around us. That will always be a priority for me. Awesome. Well, I've got one last question, but kind of in two different parts. So, what advice would you have for others? if they feel that urge or that call to serve, but they don't know where or how to get started. So if any of the people who have worked with me are listening to this, it will sound like a broken record, but (laughs) network. So talk to the people who are in your community and see where they're serving and find what fits you. So three years ago, I did not know a thing about military transition. Um, I'm sure you remember that in my interview. <laughs> um, so, and it became very clear to me um, that that it was a it was a need, and it was something that would it would be an investment in the individuals who were in our community and who were were needing this assistance. Um, and it did take time for me to learn it, and it took time for me and asking questions and you know being just a sponge um, and admitting what I didn't know, um, but. I think over time, you know, and there's still individuals who are more knowledgeable than me who I continue to learn from, but that being, being willing to learn and being willing to ask people questions and just that networking, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. And as far as your role as a spouse, what would you say um, are some resources or, you know, some guidance for those folks? if they feel a call to serve, but they also feel kind of stuck where they're at. And, you know, there's just a big question mark about their future. Oh, Barb, I could talk about this for a <laughs> But to keep it short and sweet, there is, 
there are, especially now with so many virtual opportunities and the nonprofits and where where you see yourself fitting in, there there will always be. Op- so I'll even say this right now: reach out to me. I will gladly talk to you. Um, and there are always going to be people like that who are willing to speak with you and willing to discuss how they got to the you know got to where they are and take advantage of that and take advantage of the people around you and those who have who are where you want to be or who who are you know who are just who are willing to pour into you mm-hmm. that's the those are the people that you need to be around and i i will never forget our first duty station and i knew nothing but because like i said i had that mentor and i had that spouse who was willing to just teach me and to take the time to help me understand the community and understand what was available to me and why I mean I didn't know about army community services and that they would help me write a resume and it's just those small things that people don't know but if you take the time to get to know the people around you it's you know the military spouse community is small and Mm -hmm. I really truly believe that no matter what the you know what some some of the um can't think of the word right now but what some of the stereotypes might be military spouses we are resilient and we right. want to help each other yeah so i think that that is there's something that you just need to kind of dig into and just build your community and find out what is out there for you um and yeah like i said just reach out to people that's great uh really good really good advice and even veterans of that lifestyle find ourselves in that feeling, you know, sometimes. So it's good to just remember um, exactly what you said. Okay. I know I said I wouldn't throw any curveballs at you, <laughs> but as we've spoken and um, I'm thinking about you just kind of like pushing yourself as far as running and then also your heart for service. Do you think those things are connected somehow? And um, if so, would you, talk a little bit about that maybe I mean like I said so my parents were both runners that's actually kind of so my parents are both in medicine my dad's physician my mom was an ER nurse and they were both runners too and so that they they met in the hospital but they became friends with running um and so sometimes I think like they're my especially my father and my mother but they are very passionate about serving their community mm-hmm. and doing things that maybe not the average physician or nurse would be doing they do a lot of or they did do a lot of like free click free care um and really went out of their way to make sure that the people that they were their patients were taken care of and no, no matter what um and i think that is becoming more and more rare but they their love for running and then their love for serving the community and the pe- their patients. I definitely think that was instilled in me in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that could definitely be that coming from my parents and their, what they have, what they've modeled for you really. Yes. What yeah. they modeled for me. So that definitely could be it. Um, but also I just think that runners, we, we are a little, um, maybe not totally right in the brain sometimes. <laughs> um, so I think I think that that piece, and then also like you know, I mean, the type of people that like we're serving, they're very unique. Um, so I think that my my background of really pushing myself and being and caring a lot about um, 
yeah, like how hard can I go? I think it gave me the ability to kind of relate to the guys and gals that I worked oh, definitely. with. Yes. Um, so I think there was that piece too. Yeah. And do you think this is the last curveball and then we'll wrap things up, but <laughs> do you think it's possible for someone who feels all the things that you're talking about, but doesn't have a model of service and doesn't have a model of drive in their life and hasn't themselves been kind of physically motivated, you know, mentally or spiritually um, motivated, do you think it's possible for them to start and and make a difference? And then we'll go from there. Of course, anybody can. You don't have to, I mean, you don't have to have a model. My sister, she is probably one of the best artists I've ever seen. And she's, she's paid to be an artist, which I don't think is super common sometimes. Uh, but I can tell you that neither my mom nor my dad can draw a stick figure. Um, <laughs> so it isn't always what you see modeled. It's also what's intrinsic to you. Yeah. So what, what, what motivates you and finding that. So maybe it isn't running that motivates you. It doesn't have to be. Some people hate running. I understand that. But whatever it is that you are, you find joy in should be something that you explore mm. and you should really take the time to invest in yourself. And even if that's just 30 minutes a day of, you know, sitting down and writing out, Hey, I want to, I at least want to look into this. I at least want to see what this would look like for me if I took the time to invest in it. Um, there's, there's always those opportunities and there's, there's always going to be value added when you're trying to improve yourself. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I'll say one thing and then we'll, we'll wrap this conversation up, but I will say when I met you, Victoria, like I said, we were looking for characteristics and those characteristics were developed long before your expertise was developed. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so I just want to encourage people with that, that character building, um, thinking about what's most important to you and developing that within yourself will come before the opportunities come. But once you start to do that, you will be amazed at some of the doors that open for you. I don't know if you agree or disagree, but oh, I'd love yes. to hear your thought. Okay. A hundred percent. Like yeah. I said, I, it's not like the position I had is a, a normal position. I think what at the time only three units had it in all of the military. Right. So how would I have known about that? But it, like you said, it's, it's the characteristics and the people and who was going to be a good, who's going to be a good fit and the, and did you care? I think if right. you care a lot, that's going to come, it's going to come across. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Victoria. Uh, we really appreciate you, you coming on and, and helping us have this conversation about, about serving. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you.